Welcome to the Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach podcast. Machon Siach at SAR High School, honoring the memory of Belda Kaufman Lindenbaum, Zichron Alevracha, is the research arm of SAR High School, where faculty bridge theory and practice on matters of Jewish education, curriculum, and culture. I'm your host, Shmuel Hain, Rosh Beit Midrash at SAR High School, and director of media and publications at Machon Siach. Our producer is Avi Bloom, and our engineer is Greg Schmidt. This special episode of the podcast is devoted to some important ongoing conversations taking place in our school in our post-October 7th world. How are we connecting with and supporting our alumni and college campuses? And how are we helping parents and students navigate the college guidance process after the events of October 7th and their aftermath? Our guest host is Dr. Rifka Press-Schwartz, Associate Principal of SAR High School and Director of Research and Program Development at Machon Siach. Our two guests are part of SAR High School's College Guidance Leadership Team, Mr. Michael Courtney, Director of College Counseling at SAR High School, and Ms. Michelle Biller-Levy, Associate Director of College Counseling and Director of Postgraduate Initiatives at Machon Siach. In the first weeks after the horrific terrorist attacks in Israel on Shemini Atzeret, or Simchat Torah in Israel, we were completely preoccupied with thinking about Israel and what was going on there and our response. But in the last week or 10 days as a school, while our hearts and our tefillot are still with Israel, to some extent our attention has shifted. Shifted because of what we're hearing and seeing from American college campuses, what we're hearing that Jewish students are experiencing and encountering. And we've been wondering for ourselves, what's the right response for us as a modern Orthodox Jewish high school that sends many of our students to secular campuses? What's the right response for our students and our parents? How should we be guiding them in this moment? How do we connect with and support our alumni? We've been doing a lot of thinking about this. We didn't think this was the time for quick responses, but really for thoughtful deliberation and arriving at conclusions that, again, made sense for our families and for our kids and were true to our values. Today, I have the opportunity to be in conversation with two of the leaders of our college counseling program who have done incredible work in being partners with us in the administration as we think through and talk through these issues to try to clarify where we are and where we think we ought to get to. So I'm Rivka Press-Schwartz, Associate Principal of General Studies at SAR High School, and I'm joined on this conversation with two of my colleagues from the college counseling department. If you wouldn't mind taking a second to introduce yourselves. I'm Michelle Biller-Levy. I am the Associate Director of College Guidance and also am a, the Director of Postgraduate Initiatives at Machon Siach here at SAR. And my name is Michael Courtney. I am Director of College Counseling at SAR. So Michael, if we could start with you, can you share with us what you've been hearing again the past week or 10 days as these stories and experiences have started to roll in, what you've been hearing from SAR alumni on campuses right now? Sure. So our students are still very happy to be at the campuses that they're attending. They're thinking of the long view, how positive their experiences have been before October 7th. But there's no doubt that since the terrorist attacks and the more anti-Israel fervor they're experiencing, how uncomfortable it is to be on some of these campuses. Our students are talking about how sometimes it's hard to leave their dorm rooms, how sometimes certain professors might raise some comments that might leave them a bit baffled and feeling marginalized. And they're also seeing large demonstrations either on the quad or elsewhere on the street that turn into very vitriolic sentiments. So we've seen examples of the Students for Justice in Palestine taking over a school library 
and making it intimidating for students who are there. We've seen examples of them trying to burn an Israeli flag, and that led to physical confrontation. We've seen examples of actual, written, and very, very powerful threats against Jews on a campus, including going after women specifically. So we've seen the gamut, and our students are pretty fearful of what's going on. We are arming them with whatever resources we can so they're able to discuss this in a civil way, but we understand their concerns over the past couple weeks. And I'll just add that even over the past 10 days or so, I keep saying that I'm not sure that's specifically the right number, but we'll go with it. The arc of what I've been hearing from our graduates on campus has changed. So that it started with yesterday's protests and there are these sentiments being expressed, but we feel like we can stand up to them with information, with education, with teachbacks. Sometimes students reached out to us to ask for resources for those kinds of teachbacks, but students still felt that there was a moment that they could rise to in a way that could be empowering. And then as things have gone on, and as you said, Michael, intensified and the vitriol's intensified, and we've moved from there being really, you know, saying really terrible things about Israel, but we feel like there's a way to respond to that with education to there are physical threats against our safety. We don't feel safe. We, are, we feel like we have to stay inside, or even in some cases we're being told to stay away from Jewish gathering places on campus in order to ensure our physical safety, that starts to feel very different and moves away from maybe the realm of education and a moment that we can rise to, to what's doing with our kids. As we sit here on October 31st, the day before the first round of applications are due for seniors, it's very, this is a very timely conversation. And I actually think the timing of this is quite relevant. If had this all taken place in Israel or begun to take place in Israel because it's a continuing issue, continuing conversation, and we don't know how this will all be resolved, uh, but thinking about if this had happened just a couple of months ago at this stage of the game, coming up, coming up to November 1st, our families would feel pretty well-informed, feel like they had a lot more information perhaps to work with um, in terms of making these sort of decisions. And because this is happening exactly at the moment as applications are due, and so many students have spent the past bunch of months investigating, researching, touring, and visiting college campuses and learning more about them, uh, we actually have really not seen a shift in the where students are choosing to place their college applications in this moment. Everybody who planned to submit applications to early decision schools, some of the ones where we have certainly seen some of this this anti, uh, anti-Israel anti and anti-Semitic action have kept those applications in. They've all been submitted. I think it remains to be seen what happens as we move forward. But because of the close timing of this to when the applications themselves are due, in large part, and because I think families really are beginning to see, and some of our students are discussing this with us, of understanding what this moment within history sort of means, that these voices have always been on these college campuses, that all the students who are in study, Students for Justice for Palestine on these campuses were not admitted on October 6th. They've always been there. And the voices are amplified as our voices are amplified due to what's going on in Israel right now. I will add not that it's the most important thing going on now. Obviously, there are very much bigger things going on. But both of these college counselors have been working nonstop around the clock on the regular nonstop around the clock work of early applications to college. And now on top of that, we're being asked to step back and think about the most important, the most significant, the most fundamental questions about who we are as American modern Orthodox Jews in the midst of all of the day-to-day, did you submit your common app and were your scores sent over? And I would add to that that we've always talked about the importance of kashrut on campus, the importance of daily minyan, other resources for Jewish life. And we've always talked about anti-Israel bias, anti-Semitism. But I think we've come to realize that really has to be number one. 
Just alongside kashrut and minyana is very important for modern Orthodox. The idea of any anti-Israel sentiment being violent or hurtful should be the first thing families think about. What are our institutional principles here? What are the things that we feel like for all that we are in a really painful, difficult, frightening moment, these are commitments we want to hold on to? And where are the things that we say something has to change? So what is it that we feel like, even though it's a hard time to hold on to this commitment, it's still a commitment? And where are the places where we feel like this hard time has actually shed light on what needs to be different than it was before? So I don't know if either of you wants to speak to that. I have some ideas about it. But I think that for us is what's, what's the deep thinking here. There's There's a lot of very important work to do in supporting kids and supporting parents and decisions that have to get made now. But the step back, big picture institutional thinking is really about what are the commitments that we still hold, even though it's a hard moment to hold them? And where are the places that we really see that we have to reorient our thinking? In a broad sense, I think there this is actually a great moment of, of inflection for our community to really think about what are the values that lead us or that have led us to attend these universities in the first place? What are the values that we were looking to gain from having our students and our children attend these institutions? There are many of them that we don't necessarily need to go into right at this moment, but thinking about what those values are and and those values still being really true and the experience of attending one of these campuses and attending college there in this moment of your lives, a lot of those things are still still remain true. So I think there's also a moment here to think as a college counseling office of how the conversations we're regularly having in any given year with families about why you value institution X, Y, and Z. Why is this the place that you want to go? What do you hope to gain from this experience of higher education on this campus? This is another point of conversation to have there, but it's also a great moment for us to sit back and think about what are those the reasons why we've we've sought to gain access. Historically, actually, a lot of these highly selective institutions really were formed to keep Jewish students out. And so thinking about the fact that we've gained spaces here, um, what what is the value behind that and what does that bring to our community? And I think we'd argue as a college counseling staff and as SAR that there's a lot of value to that experience. But this is a really good moment for us to sit back and really, really think about what led us to this place in the first place. And I'll add that for us in SAR, I think there's a pretty fundamental commitment that one of our key understandings of what it means to be modern Orthodox is to be open to and engaging with the world both on an intellectual level, learning ideas from the broader world that shape our understandings, not only of secular knowledge, but actually shape our understandings of Torah and Judaism, but also on an interpersonal level of we are encountering people who are not like us across lines of difference. They, in turn, are encountering us and thinking that something meaningful happens in that encounter. And this is a very difficult moment to hold that commitment because a lot of us just have the feeling of like, let's... In the intensity of seeing one of those videos that's being circulated, you just have a feeling of, like, let's turn our back on this and walk away and go back into spaces that are more not just accepting but embracing of our students. And then, at least for me, it keeps coming back to a moment of, like, well, what did I think was the value of that kind of engagement in the first place? If I thought that there was value in that kind of engagement, it's not only when it's easy or comfortable, it might also be when it feels very challenging. I want to say very clearly that nobody thinks it's acceptable that our kids aren't safe. Every single conversation has to start from a standpoint of ensuring our kids' physical safety, of their ability to be publicly Jewish and proudly Jewish. Nobody is saying otherwise. This is not a question of accepting anything less than that. But the question of whether we want to stay in these places and continue to engage, I think our feeling is 
in the mean, we do. There might be some individual places where we say, not just the environment is so hostile, but and the administration is so not supportive, because I think that's a very key question. You can have a very challenging environment on a campus, but if the administration is supportive of the Jewish students, and we did hear from some of our kids that that first Friday night after the attacks and then after the campus demonstrations and after that, that university presidents showed up at Hillel, at JLIC, at whatever it was for Friday night dinner, for Shabbat dinner, to be there with the Jewish students, to stand with the Jewish students. That was very meaningful to them on some campuses. On other campuses, there was a sense of much more equivocation and weakness in the response of the administration. And I think that makes a very big difference in how students feel, even when something difficult happens. Does it feel like yes, something terrible happened and the administration has your back and is totally supportive, or does it feel like something difficult has happened and like who's there um, you know, to meet your needs? So I think talking about the value of, of interacting is one of the core principles we're holding on to. Maybe maintaining our kids' physical safety as an absolute non-negotiable is another one. I wonder if there are other things that we might want to talk about. Michelle, is there something you want to get into the conversation to say? To the point about our, our students' physical safety and thinking about the leadership on these campuses, there, I just... I don't know that our families are aware of this, but there actually is a, a letter that was based on a template um, sent out by the ADL right after this, the day that the Students for Justice for Palestine had a date of resistance on a whole variety of different campuses. Um, and so we edited and formed a letter, I along with a, a former colleague from um, another institution, um, who uh, edited a letter from the ADL to send to about 35 different college presidents on, on whose campuses these days of resistance were held to explain exactly that, to say that we really are need to know that our students can feel safe on these campuses, uh, but that the safety is the piece that really it comes down to here. And knowing that our students will feel safe and supported on those campuses, which some very specific suggestions of how to make that happen. Uh, we've gotten a couple of replies from that letter. We hope to continue to get more, but also realize that writing a letter and having it signed by a lot of people, and perhaps this moves us into our next phase of conversation here, but writing a letter and have it signed by a lot of people is not necessarily going to ignite as much action as we perhaps would hope. And so moving on to the next phase of, of personalization is a lot of what we've been talking about here in the administration and the college counseling office at SAR, and thinking ahead again to this conversation just tomorrow with uh, all the Jewish day schools, the principals of the Jewish day schools, but really planning for personalized interaction with some of these university leaders to be able to sit down and have a real conversation about how the security of our students is going to be established. And I'd add to that, that at the start of every school year in orientation, these campuses will have different harassment trainings, they'll have sexual assault training. It's very important to us that there's going to be training about anti-Semitism and how harassing someone for being Jewish when there's a conflict over 5,000 miles away isn't right. It is not what we're standing for as American institutions. And I think that needs to be focused on on every late August on every college campus. That's not something that we have to just think Jews are a majority. No, we're actually a minority on college campuses and we need to be appreciated as such. And we as Go ahead, Michelle. We as a college counseling staff have also had already begun to have these conversations with admissions officers who have been visiting our school, who will continue um, to visit our school. But in advance of those visits, we've been having conversations, really meaningful conversations um, with campuses where they've actually come to recruit here and in recent weeks brought the rabbi of the Hillel on campus with them to make sure that our students can really get an understanding of what's happening on that campus right now and know that there is support for them. Um, and so we've really been having some meaningful conversations uh, supporting to, to explain to these admissions officers 
what our community is experiencing right now, that our community feels feels quite broken in so many ways and, and let down in some ways. Uh, and I think thinking about giving that context to the admissions officers right now in this moment has been very helpful. Before we have anybody coming in here to recruit our students in the past couple of weeks and in the coming weeks and months, we are having those conversations um, in advance. I want to come back to this, what we're asking of the representatives or the schools that come to recruit. I think that's a very present question right now with different schools taking different stances on that. We will let them in. We won't let them in. What will we demand of them to let them in? But before that, I just want to come back, Michael, to your point about including anti-Semitism and anti-bias training. Because you said, you know, we're not a majority in these campuses. We're actually a minority. And at one level, it's like, of course, Jews are 2% of the American population. Of course, we're a minority. But I think it's really interesting to go back to something Michelle said earlier about the history of Jews being in these elite spaces and how that came to be and what the outcome was. Because the truth is that part of what's going on these weeks, if you'll allow me to maybe like psychoanalyze our community a little bit, is that there's such a deep sense of betrayal specifically because the universities have been a place where so much good was achieved for American Jews. And I'll say maybe a generation after that for American Orthodox Jews. Meaning, as Michelle said, those were once places that were very hostile to Jews. From the 1920s to the 1950s, Ivy universities had quotas to make sure they didn't allow in more than a certain number of Jews. I always think it's fascinating to tell my students the history. There's a book by a writer named Jerome Carabell called The Chosen, which is about the history of um, Ivy League admissions at three elite schools. And he makes the point that many of the features of the college application that Michael and Michelle have been sweating over for the past few weeks, the letters of recommendation, the personal statements, were actually added to applications in the 1920s to be able to identify who was Jewish. Because if you just got an application with a name and grades, you might not be able to tell. But if you ask for a letter of recommendation based on who wrote it and what they said, and a personal statement from a student, you could try to identify who was a Jewish student, and then you could control how many you got, because, of course, you didn't want too many on your campus. And that changed after World War II. There was a shift towards the idea of meritocracy, that you earn your way in, you get high scores on the SAT, you can make it. Whatever critiques might be mounted of meritocracy as a concept or earning your way in, in practice for American Jews, this served us very well. Post-World War II, in much bigger numbers, we get into those institutions after the 1950s, the quotas are dropped, American Jews make it, we achieve the kind of success we achieved in many cases because we were able to get the educations and get the degrees and get the professions. And I think for many of us, it feels like we saw these institutions as being part of our American Jewish story. What the heck am I seeing on WhatsApp right now? And so I think there's like a very intense feeling around that. But I think the ways in which we have as a community been able to achieve success here in this country speaks to what Michael was just saying, which is, I think people sometimes have a hard time, to be perfectly frank, seeing American Jews as a minority population. Because in the many ways that we have achieved professional success and communal success in this country, people sometimes need reminding that we are, however you want to define us, and this gets into the Trump executive order and Title VI and all kinds of things that are beyond our purview here. We are a religion or a national ethnic group or exactly whatever you want to call us. But we as a Jewish community are a very small minority in the United States. We are and can be the subject a particular kind of hatred or bias called anti-Semitism, and the same way that campuses are preparing their students and their faculty to be sensitive to all kinds of other hate and bias, one of the things I think we do need to ask for is much greater attentiveness to preparing students and faculty to understand and respond to anti-Semitism. 
So with that little uh, side note about history over and getting back to the question of as a school, as a college counseling department, what do you think are the right things to ask of? Is it demand of? Is it insist on from representatives? And I'll just add for all of our listeners, we wanted to share this conversation with you because a lot of parents have been asking us what we're up to and what we're thinking and what we're doing and where we are. This is far from a policy platform. For a policy platform, we wouldn't be putting it out in a podcast. And there will be policy platforms in days to come that will be shared with you in more formal ways. Michelle has already said loads of Yeshiva Day School principals are meeting tomorrow to talk about this. We're looking to have coordinated action. So this is not about the policy positions that we have decided on for SR High School. This is more about what we're thinking about. And I want to be very clear that's what that is. Our principal, Rabbi Hardstark, well, one of our two principals, Rabbi Tully Hardstark, has said that he really wants us to get out of the business of davening over the words of president's statements. That can get us down endless rabbit holes and instead to be in the business of talking about what are concrete, specific, actionable things that we need to see that will help ensure our student safety and the campus climate. They put this word in, they didn't put this word in, they should have put that word in. Even if we want to advance that issue, where does that get us at the end? It gets us criticizing the president's statement. And what we should be saying is these are the things we need to keep our students physically safe now, to deal with anti-Semitism on campus moving forward, to think about how we are guiding our students, the specific, the actionable, the concrete, less wordsmithing. Sorry, Michael, you wanted to say something. Sure. So I was also thinking about how in years past, the BDS movement was pretty rampant on college campuses, boycott, divest, and sanction. And a lot of student governments would have a referendum to vote on divesting from Israel. And in almost all the cases, the university administration said, no, we're not going to have BDS be a thing here on our campus. And I think that made us feel safe and that made us feel welcomed. And their statements that were pretty strident against BDS were impressive. So I think there is definitely a uh, a past, and there's definitely a future for administrations making us feel safe as a Jewish people. So I actually, a lot of this discussion about safety wants me to move us in one more direction, because one of the things that has come up on a number of campuses that is not about students' physical safety, but might be about students' comfort in a learning community, is some campuses where either professors were expressing openly celebrating Hamas terrorist attacks at protests on campus. Again, there were, there were recordings I think many of us have seen, really disturbing recordings of professors saying things like that. Professors signing on to statements that all of the violence on October 7th and since is Israel's fault and responsibility. On some campuses, it's hundreds of professors. And I think one of the things that we are really thinking about is with an awareness, both of the laws around protected speech, particularly in effect at public universities, but even at private universities, and the norms of academic freedom, of tenure, of professors can speak on issues inside and outside the classroom and be protected from, from punishment up to certain limits. Given all of that, but our students may be going into class with a professor who has signed on to one of these statements, made some of these public announcements, whatever it is, and what are we thinking about or looking for or hoping for or asking for so that our kids feel comfortable being in those classes or being on a campus where 700 professors sign such a statement, even if they aren't in those professors' classes? I feel like for me, this is the place where I have the least clarity in part because there are so many 
other issues that come into play. To insist on something the university can't do legally or won't do without being sanctioned by the American Association of University Professors is not productive. But also it seems pretty obvious to us that if your professor has been out on the quad at a protest making a statement that he feels exhilarated seeing the Hamas violence against Jews, it's not going to really feel so good to go back into his class on Monday morning. And so have you been having conversations around that? Do you have thoughts around that? Is this all still in the, we need to be putting a lot of time into working on these issues? Where are you when you think about that particular set of issues? So I think it's a great question because just yesterday a student said to me that they felt unsafe when it comes to professor statements and they just have to suck it up because they'll get a bad grade if they speak up. And I want to empower all of our students that if you are made to feel uncomfortable in a class because of something a professor says, there is a dean's office for a reason. And that professor might not get suspended or let go. But the idea is that someone should speak to the professor, that you have students who you are making feel very uncomfortable. And it's very important not to make your students feel unsafe on our campus. Every single student is cherished and valued in a college campus. When an admissions office admits a student and that student matriculates, they are saying we're going to do everything we can to keep you here for four years safe and you graduate a very satisfied customer. So we think it is important for our students to know they can speak up if a student does make them feel unsafe, even if they are protected by the First Amendment, they could still let people know this is not something that I feel safe with. Will your grade be affected? No. There's going to be multiple students in your classroom who feel the way you do. I would say that with a few hundred professors signing on to certain petitions, there's definitely a there's definitely an effect of people feeling like they're supposed to, if their colleagues are doing it, if their department mates are doing it. It doesn't necessarily mean all of these professors are going to make you feel unsafe on campus. I think this might get into a little bit of the territory, as you were saying earlier, Rivka, about, about demands. I think we feel uh, reticent to say there are things we are demanding that need to happen universally right now. Uh, but I do think the demand for our students to feel safe and also the demand for our students to know who they can turn to on these campuses for support if they do feel unsafe. What is their recourse? Who are they going to? Where is that office? I think making sure that is all incorporated into orientation training for faculty and students on campuses is something very actionable that we can m help make sure is happening. Yeah, I think that's really important. And in that regard, it's important to realize that we didn't invent this conversation. We are coming into the middle of an ongoing conversation about to what extent should we have free speech on campus, even if it makes people feel unsafe, and to what extent should we demand that professors maintain an environment that feels safe to students, if it, even if it means limiting certain kinds of speech. And these questions are out there, are under discussion, will continue to be under discussion. But what you're saying, Michelle, which is, and what you've said, Michael, is even if professors have the protected right in or out of the classroom to say certain things, and it may not be that every statement that professors have made falls under that, but even where what they're saying is clearly protected, if those statements are making students feel, for whatever reason, that their identity as Jews, as Zionists, as members, visible members of their communities being targeted, there should be a place that they can go and someone they can turn to. And to the extent, again, that anti-Semitism may not have been considered with other forms of discrimination or bias as something that the Office for Getting Rid of Discrimination and Bias deals with, I think that's a very concrete thing that we can ask for, that those offices have to feel like they are places to help Jewish students meet the needs of Jewish students, serve Jewish students as well. I think we've talked about a lot and covered a lot of territory here. 
all of this is early days yet. I know it feels like we've been living in this forever, but it's early days yet, especially when it comes to thinking about the implications of this. Again, not that this is the most important thing here. I want to keep saying this. Our hearts and our tefillot are with our family in Israel, the family we're closer related to and the family we're more distantly related to, the ones on the front lines, the ones in captivity. And that is the most important part of this to keep in mind. But in terms of the conversation about what this means for us as an American Jewish modern Orthodox community, I think we're just starting that conversation. We're just starting to explore these things. We're just starting to think through these things. And again, we want to take the space. I mean, Machon Siach means an institute for conversation. I know this is not directly a Machon Siach thing. This is SAR High School. But there's a lot of connection and overlap there. We want to take the space for thought and reflection and really figuring out what makes sense and clarifying, again, what our values are that we want to hold on to where we think things are that need to be changed, and then to guide our families, our students, our parents, our alumni in ways that make sense for them, make sense for us, for our institutional values and commitments. So with all that, I'd ask you, is there anything else in this conversation that we haven't gotten to, haven't said, you think we missed, you'd like to cover, last ideas or thoughts or words you'd like to bring up? I think another question in a in a longer term way, but another question or issue that's being brought very much to the forefront here is thinking once again, as we thought about this many times, but um, we are it, right? Modern Orthodox day schools are are it, are the standard in terms of how we educate our students about the history of Israel, the politics of Israel, the experience of of what it means to be a, a citizen of multiple places. Um, and, and I think that we have to once again really, and our teachers here have already been doing this, have stopped their regular lessons to go back and give history lessons um, specific to Israel. But I think we really need to also remind ourselves, and as an OUJLIC campus connector, which is another role I'm I'm serving here, thinking about how we make sure, A, as a college counseling staff, we are handing off our students to people and places in the on these campuses who will help be these means of support for them, and also thinking about how we are educating our students in this modern, in this moment right now, um, not just the the history of the past of Israel, but the present of Israel, and how to address these present conversations and hot button sort of term terminology that comes up a lot on the other side of this debate um, to really make sure that our students feel prepared to go out and have meaningful and, and efficient and helpful um, and, and effective and accurate responses to these sorts of conversations that are happening on these campuses. And I think this is a moment for us to really think about and and check that and and revise that and rework that and make sure that that our students who are on these campuses feel armed with the information that when a real conversation and a moment for dialogue is is available, they're able to stand up to that moment. It's funny, Michelle, that you were the one to bring this up since I'm the history teacher on this podcast. Uh, But I did forget to bring that up, and I think it's really important. We have been thinking a lot about that. Once we get past our students' safety and the immediate questions of, you know, do they feel okay going to class? The question of do they feel okay in a different sense? Like they understand the history here and they understand um, how to engage with some of the issues, questions, challenges, critiques, accusations, charges that are being raised, how to respond to them. I think that's something that we are doing a lot of thinking about. We have very robust Israel education here in SAR. It's a big part of the 10th grade world history curriculum. And then in the second part of senior year, all seniors take a class on modern Israel. We feel like that's a really good curriculum that's been developed over a lot of years and with a lot of input. But we are thinking now, do we need specific education, as you said, that's oriented towards what you're going to hear? 
And how do we think about that? Here are the words that come up. Here are the charges and the accusations, which we've resisted doing to some extent. We've said, let's give our kids history and our own narrative and deep understanding of who we are and where we are. And that's going to be great grounding. And the truth is, we've heard from many of our kids that it is. Kids have come back to us and said, I really felt prepared to engage in this conversation. Not that I wanted to have to, but I felt prepared to engage in it when I was called to. Some of our students reached out to us from one campus to say, we'd like to do a teach back. We'd like to share some material about Israel. We know we learned some of this material in high school, so we know you have it collected. Can you share with us what you have so that we can use it? And we did. We were so happy to do it. A couple of us history teachers met with them on Zoom to share materials with them. But we are thinking now about what it would mean to do that in a way that's more directly oriented towards engaging with some of the charges or words that you're going to hear. And even thinking about whether is 12th grade the right place to do it, or is this something that we offer students in some way during their gap year while they're in Israel? Again, I think this is another example of the the principles that we've always been committed to, we remain committed to, and also the moment is asking us to think about whether we need to do things somewhat differently. So I really appreciate you bringing that up because that was something important for us to discuss that I forgot to. Michael, last words on this podcast today. So any students listening, any alumni, I would think that first and foremost, you need to have pride in being Jewish. You've gone to Jewish day school for many years, whether you're on a secular campus or you're at Yeshiva University now, be proud of being Jewish. You're going to be in spaces after college that won't be as highly charged as the ones you're in now, but there will be people wherever you're working one day who might not have the same views on Israel as you do. So what you're experiencing now, you're going to see it again in the future, but never in this big, massive scale. So stay strong. Be proud of being Jewish. Never, ever apologize for being pro-Israel. It is important to understand the nuances of the other side, where they're coming from, and to hear people. But that doesn't mean you have to compromise your beliefs and your values. We're very proud of you. We're going to always be a resource for you here at SAR. We'd love to see you this year. You're always welcome to come back to the high school. We love when you come Wednesday of Thanksgiving or before Pesach break. But we're really speaking to you here that you are extremely meaningful to us forever, not just when you graduate in June when you're 18 years old. Hard to find a better note to end on than that. So we'll thank you very much for listening to us. We are exploring and continue to explore these ideas to work with other schools, as Michelle said, eventually to reach out to university administrations as we develop our responses to this. And as Michael said, more than anything else, we always love to hear from our alumni wherever they are and whatever they're doing as we hear about their experiences, their responses, and what they have to share with us. Thank you for listening to this special episode of The Grand Conversation. Please be sure to visit our website, www.machonsiach.org, where you can subscribe to our podcast and find all of our work, papers, essays, podcasts, on a variety of subjects. Until next time, this has been The Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach Podcast.